is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. Glioblastoma is an aggressive type of cancer that can occur in the brain or spinal cord. And while the disease can occur at any age, it tends to occur more often in older people. According to the American Cancer Society, in the United States each year, between 12 and 14,000 patients are diagnosed with glioblastoma. There's currently no cure for glioblastoma, and the median length of survival after diagnosis is between 15 and 18 months, while the disease's five-year survival rate is around 10%. To improve the current standard of care, ongoing research and development is required to meet the unmet medical needs of patients diagnosed with this form of cancer. Earlier this year, researchers at Modified Biosciences published a critical study in the journal Science, validating a new oncology platform technology based on a new class of molecules that exploit tumor-associated DNA repair defects through direct cancer cell DNA modification. This approach redefines the rules on how to selectively kill cancer cells. The technology bypasses conventional approaches that indirect target proteins in cancer cells and demonstrate robust anti-tumor activity in glioblastoma while sparing normal, healthy tissue. In the publication in Science, the new class of molecules were found to be very selective against cancer cells that lacked the expression of a key DNA repair protein called MGMT. And approximately half of all glioblastomas and up to 80% of gliomas lack this particular protein. Furthermore, emerging research indicates that this deficiency is seen in many other tumors as well, suggesting that this approach may also work in treating other forms of cancer. Based on the original research conducted at Yale School of Medicine, scientists at Modify Bio are now creating a new class of anti-cancer agents. In this episode of the Yonkers in Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra. Dr. Bindra is a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modify Bio. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Yonkers in Brief. The Yonkers in Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal, Oncuzine, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. For information on how to support this program, visit our website at oncuzine.com. And if you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. And we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. This is the Yonkazine Brief. For the latest news about cancer and cancer treatment, visit our online journal, Oncazine, at www.oncazine.com. In this episode of the Oncazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra. Dr. Bindra is the co-author of a study published in the journal Science validating a new oncology platform technology based on a new class of molecules designed to exploit tumor-associated DNA repair defects to direct cancer cell DNA modification. He's also the co-founder of Modify Bio, the company behind the development of this new approach. Dr. Bindra, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Bindra, before we talk about this new technology platform, tell me a little bit more about yourself and why you started a career in the development of new treatment options that one day may improve the standard of care for patients diagnosed with cancers like glioblastoma. Yes, no, thank you so much again. Well, I'm a physician scientist uh, currently at the Yale School of Medicine, co-director of Yale's Brain Tumor Center, 
And I treat patients uh, typically uh, in the past about one day a week. Um, adults with pediatric brain tumors have been my main focus. And then the other days out of the week, I run a DNA repair lab. It also focuses on cancer metabolism and with a primary interest in accelerating and developing or translating rather drugs from the basic science lab through the translational spectrum of research into the clinic. Uh, and that's all the way down to running phase zero, one and two clinical trials. Sort of on the evenings and weekends, I consider myself a biotech entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur, having started a couple companies. Today, we'll be talking about our latest startup based on a paper published in Science, uh, the company being called Modify Bio. And I am uh, indeed uh, the incoming uh, CEO uh, for this company. Really just to uh, go step way back without spending too much time, um, I've always been interested in some elements of research, but uh, cancer research became a mission for me when my father had passed away from metastatic esophageal cancer when I was in medical school. Uh, and that certainly galvanized my interest in the specific space and realized that um, there were possibilities to both work in the laboratory, but also develop uh, um, uh, clinical trials and, and eventually develop companies that could help expedite better treatments uh, for cancer patients. So what you and your team are trying to do is to find a new treatment option for glioblastoma, one of the most complex, deadly, and treatment-resistant cancers. I can only imagine that there are other forms of cancer with other targets that may be easier to treat than glioblastoma, correct? Yeah, great question. You know, I got inspired to work in this area during my internship and residency at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I'd done my MD-PhD at Yale, went out to New York for five years and, and did, did that uh, training there. And I met a few patients, particularly uh, a young toddler who had a brainstem glioblastoma or glioma. And she passed uh, during my time when I was in training and realized uh, that, and quite frankly, was surprised that both children and adults could get these brain tumors and we could throw everything at them and they just simply wouldn't respond. That really inspired me to de develop a clinical practice and focus in the area. And for the last 10 years, I've been treating patients as a radiation oncologist using radiation therapy in combination with other uh, modalities to treat these patients. But time and time again, um, just incredibly frustrated and amazed that we haven't really changed survival for, for these patients. Uh, and at the same time, as a, phys a physician scientist on the scientist side, looking at the science uh, behind glioma and realizing that we actually know a lot about these diseases and every year we learn something more and realizing that there's still better ways to do this. There are better drugs that can be tested. And even though we've seen a lot of failures in the clinic, I think as we'll get into this later, things like blood-brain barrier penetration, tumor heterogeneity, or simply focusing on the right mutations that are in the tumor and, and really using cutting-edge basic science uh, approaches to, to answer these questions. We, we think that there's, there's still a lot of room to move to make better therapies uh, available for them. Right now, let's talk a little bit more about the oncology platform technology. So together with your coworkers, you have developed a new approach in the treatment of cancer that bypasses the conventional approach of indirect targeting proteins in cancer cells. In doing so, you are redefining the rules of oncology treatment, eradicating cancer cells via direct DNA modification, which overcomes resistance to treatment and improves the standard of care. And you have done that in the treatment of brain cancer. Is that a correct summary? Exactly. And, and I think what we always like to say at Modify Bio is, is most people are indirectly targeting proteins to really exploit 
some of the cancer-associated mutations in glioma and other cancers, uh, uh, and we'll talk about what that exactly means uh, uh, in just a moment. And targeting proteins is is the way we do a lot of things, right, in, in, in oncology and other aspects of drug development. Uh, it's easy. You have a protein, and you develop a small molecule, and you make that molecule fit kind of in the pocket, almost like a jigsaw puzzle, to inhibit that protein. And then you hope that inhibition of that protein in the cell will lead to some anti-tumor effect. As a radish oncologist, uh, we use radiation to disrupt the DNA of tumors. And just like every cell in our body has a genome that's essential for life, every cancer cell has a genome that's essential for its survival inside us when it's growing. And then when we use radiation, we directly disrupt that DNA. And it actually works incredibly well, but only for a short period of time. And one of the reasons is we can't get what we call a therapeutic index, meaning targeting the tumor DNA while sparing the normal tissue is actually incredibly difficult to achieve with both chemotherapy and radiation therapy. So we know that disrupting the DNA or the genome of life of that cancer cell can work, but we wanted to figure out other ways to directly do that without radiation, without chemotherapy, and without indirectly targeting uh, the proteins. And so we actually modify the DNA. And that's really the reason our company is called Modify Bio, because we're directly modifying the DNA to selectively target the tumor genome and to kill those tumor cells while sparing the normal tissue. Right. And this approach is common among drug developers, an approach to kill cancer cells, but spare healthy, normal cells. Like, for example, the approach with ADCs or antibody drug conjugates, which are designed to kill cancer but not touch healthy cells. Let's take a break. If you're just joining us, in this episode of The Oncology in Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, who is a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modify Bio. Dr. Bindra and his team of researchers have developed a new platform technology. By bypassing the conventional approach of indirectly targeting proteins in cancer cells, Modify Bio is redefining the rules of oncology treatment, eradicating cancer, via direct DNA modification. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Younger Sim Brief. Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others' huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Younger Sim Brief. 
If you're just joining us, in today's episode of The Youngers in Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and a co-founder of Modify Bio. Now, in your approach, you modify the DNA, correct? But you go beyond that by doing something that results in the inability of cancer to repair its own DNA. Tell me a little bit more about this. Exactly. And that's the key. So what we our, our approach is really based on the fact that our cells, all of our normal cells have evolved from all the way from single cell organisms, DNA repair pathways that can really address DNA damage that happens just from living. So just to step back at a high level, we have each cell in our body has billions of base pairs. And in many cases, the cell, these cells need to replicate that DNA in a matter of eight or nine hours. If you can think about rewriting that book or reprinting that book in eight hours, that'd be an enormous amount of work, yet the cell, our normal cells are able to do that. At the same time, every day when we walk out in the sun or, or, or are exposed to some toxic smokes or carcinogens, those are always attacking our DNA. And even though our DNA is stable, it's often spontaneously breaking. And so throughout evolution from single cell organisms, we've developed these highly conserved DNA repair pathways that can rapidly remove damage to the DNA or repair the DNA and allow the DNA to be divided in normal cells. What's really fascinating, in the last five to 10 years, we now realize that disrupting those pathways are essential to actually form cancer. So subsets of almost all cancers have defects in the ability to repair DNA And that leads to that instability that you mentioned. It leads to tumorigenesis or genetic instability. So it's almost a gateway for a normal cell to become cancerous by disrupting those pathways. What what we're doing at Modify Bio is we're looking at those disrupted uh, pathways and saying, okay, well, these cells are unable to repair certain types of damage. And at Modify Bio, we design what we call DNA modifiers that modify the DNA specifically in a manner is that if you're a cancer cell that has that defect in DNA repair, a very specific defect for each cancer, we custom tailor our modifiers to make modifications that the normal cells look at it and they just wipe it right off the DNA using those conserved pathways. But the cancer cells are unable to basically um, uh, repair the, that, that damage. And ultimately, we have an anti-tumor effect uh, with our molecules. So if I understand this correctly, you're talking about a DNA damage repair inhibitor you and your team have developed. You've described the overall effect, but how does it actually work? Yeah, great great question as well. And and a good point that you raise is that recently in the last uh, five to six years, we've now seen that targeting DNA repair proteins is one way to get at these tumor cells that already have DNA repair defects. And that's a, a phenomenon some folks may have heard of synthetic lethality or PARP inhibitors that we use in breast cancers and ovarian cancers. And in that example, you target a DNA repair protein, knock it out, and then that leads to death of the tumor cell that has a defect in another repair pathway. We looked at that and we said, well, that, that works well, but we can do this better and, and we can do this more directly. We can specifically look at the DNA and the DNA repair pathway and we can make molecules that really creative molecules, simple structures, orally delivered. These are not antibody drug conjugates that require complex IV infusions and whatnot. And we engineer these molecules in a way that we can control the rate at which they react. They, we can control what sorts of 
damage they uh, or modifications they put in the cells so that, again, normal cells look at those modifications and know to remove them rather quickly, um, whereas the DNA repair defective cells, our, our modifications sit there in the genome and they evolve over time into more toxic lesions only in those cancer cells. Right now, when you look at this technology, you basically exploit the fact that some cancer cells lack the expression of a key DNA repair protein. You specifically target this deficiency. Tell me a little bit more about this deficiency and what role it plays in killing cancer. Yeah, it's a great question. And what's neat about this is the fundamental discovery in the science paper is interesting for a few things. One is uh, it, it brought together a team uh, at Yale all the way from basic synthetic organic chemistry. So think of the test tubes and, and the swirling liquids in different colors in a, in a lab, uh, the mad scientists, as we call it, all the way to molecular biology with, with folks in my lab growing cells on dishes and, and in animal models, all the way through modeling clinical trials and whatnot. And we, we brought a whole team together that you'll see, uh, that you can see in the science paper to ask this question, to, to say, you know, how can we actually make this happen? But before that, I'll say we were really inspired by um, the patient experience. We were seeing conventional chemotherapies that we give to our patients in the clinic work for just a few months and then suddenly stop working. And we realized that those mo the, the, the molecules that they were being given, that the tumor cells were evolving other resistance mechanisms. So even though the tumor cells had specific DNA repair defects that the chemotherapies they were getting were working for a little bit, they suddenly have a rapid resistance uh, mutation. And so we looked at that at both the clinical and the molecular level. And I sort of went to my collaborator, Seth Herzon, over on uh, the chemistry uh, collaborator and co-senior author and said, here's what I'm seeing in the clinic. And here's the structure of that molecule. It's a chemotherapy. We want to make a DNA modifier that's not a chemotherapy, not a DNA damaging agent technically, but can basically modify the DNA differently. And, and to do that is just an extraordinary amount of work and requires a lot of different expertise. And it came down to an MD-PhD student that we co-mentored, a you know, 25-year-old student, the Soros fellow, one of the most talented trainees we've ever had in 10 years, who was able to go to Seth's lab, make those molecules from scratch with his own hands, deliver them over to our lab, uh, to our team, and, and actually work at the bench and test them in various models of these tumors. Um, and through iterative process, he made hundreds of molecules, um, all with distinct structural changes, thinking about the patient, the mutation, and the chemistry. And eventually, we came across this new class of molecules that only targeted the glioma cells with the specific DNA repair mutations, but were, 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 were very much harmless in the normal cells when they were given to those cells. Now, again, when you look at this missing protein called MGMT, you know that your approach may be successful in the treatment of glioblastoma. Tell me a little bit more about this mechanism of action and the potential in the treatment of other cancers. But also, can you tell me a little bit more about the side effects of this potential treatment strategy? Yeah, we really designed our molecules with that excellent point in mind is the defect that we target is something, a protein called methylguanine methyltransferase or MGMT. And that sounds very complicated, but often I tell my trainees, you just break the words up into methyl, which is just a, uh, basically a carbon, and a guanine, which is a base pairing DNA. So the guanine, there's A, T, G, and C. 
So at the guanine position, often that guanine gets a little methyl, a little carbon gets stuck on it just from normal processes in the cell. Uh, and so it turns out that um, if you have that methyl on the guanine in the DNA or that modification of the base pair just from normal activities in the cell, enzymatic processes or exposures to carcinogens, if that little modification persists in a normal cell, it can cause a lot of problems with the cell. The cell, a normal cell is very difficult to faithfully replicate its DNA. As such, almost every cell, nearly pretty much all cells in our body have this MGMT whose only job, methylguanine methyltransferase, is to go to that guanine, see if it has that little methyl group or that little modification and pluck it off and get rid of it. Now, oddly, gliomas and actually many tumors outside of glioma, for some reason, we still don't understand why, have silenced or lost the expression of MGMT. So normal cells have this repair pathway. Gliomas and, and subsets of other tumors have lost this repair pathway. And so when we give some of these conventional chemotherapies, that guanine methyl, that guanine modification sits in the DNA of the glioma cells. And with the conventional chemotherapies, it, it, does, it does tend to induce these chemotherapies will put more modifications at guanine. And those glioma cells, because they don't have that repair pathway, um, will die rather quickly. But again, they develop resistance mutations rather quickly where they just don't recognize it anymore and they just continue to grow. So we looked at that and designed these molecules very specifically to say, well, if you don't have MGMT or you don't have that repair pathway, what else can we put at the guanine position? Because we know the normal cell has the MGMT and will always clip that area off. And that's when we uncovered the molecule that led to the science publication. Right. So if successful, other cancers can also be treated with this option. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modified Bio. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. But for the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word. Life-changing and devastating because sarcoma is cancer. Sarcoma is a cancer of bone and soft tissue more prevalent in children than in adults. More than 6,000 people lose their lives to sarcoma each year. Treatment options for sarcoma are limited and new therapies are desperately needed. More research and increased awareness is necessary to find a cure for a cancer that you probably didn't even know existed until now. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is determined to help those affected by this forgotten cancer, to bring hope to the children and adults whose lives are forever changed by a word they had never heard before. Please help us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on sarcoma and the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, please go to curesarcoma.org. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. In today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modified Bio. In this episode of the Yonkazine Brief, we talk about a new technology which makes it possible to eradicate cancer via direct DNA modification and, as a result, improve the standard of care in cancer therapy. 
I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Yonkers in Brief. Do you, with the availability of some very effective targeted treatments that are available right now, expect this new treatment approach to be more effective? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. One of the first things we realized is everyone assumed that glioma was the only tumor type that uh, have loss of MGMT. But just like all first principles in cancer uh, biology, loss of MGMT is seen in subsets of all of many other cancers. Uh, lung cancer, sarcoma, GI cancers like colon cancer, uh, liquid cancers like AML, pediatric cancers, Subsets of them all have lost this MGMT. Now, we still don't know why that is, but we know um, those tumors have lost it. And so there's an opportunity for us to really look at those other cancers first with our molecule. And we do believe that we could do studies to see if this will be better than some of the other therapies like PARP inhibitors and other targeted therapies. But more importantly, we actually think our molecules can be used in combination with those other drugs that are out there. Because we know right now, with the exception of immunotherapy for some patients, a single agent is unlikely to cure patients. It'll shrink tumors and extend life. But what we really want to do is uh, get patients to live as long uh, health, as long healthy lives as, as possible. That's one point. And the other point I'll move to is that the fundamental discovery in the science paper and really what Modify Bio is doing is showing that this approach can be applied to not just MGMT because there's dozens of other DNA repair defects or DNA repair pathways that are inactivated uh, in all these other cancers, BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations, so sometimes the phrase HRD, positive tumors, ATM or a, uh, ATM loss, um, other different defects, IDH1, all sorts of mutations that we believe we can develop DNA modifiers to similar to like the ones we published in the science paper. And Modify Bio has already developed data suggesting that this platform can be applied to those other DNA repair defects. So, so we look at this as a whole new way to exploit this Achilles heel in these cancer cells um, that can be used either as a new therapy on its own or in combinations with some of the other drugs that you just mentioned. So when you look at what you've developed so far, right now you've established a platform technology. Tell me a little bit more about the application, because in addition to the science of this platform technology, you're working on the development of a new drug, currently in preclinical development and not yet in human studies. So tell me a little bit more about this. Yeah. So one of the things I'll say is, you know, it's been fascinating uh, with these startups and particularly with Modify Bio. This molecule has many similarities to drugs that have already been given to patients. And, and if you look in the paper, uh, you'll see the structure is, is, is quite simple. Uh, and we believe because of that previous experience in patients and similarities, we can actually get into the clinic as early as 2024 and possibly early 2024. So January, February is on the map and, and that's only about 18 months away. Um, as many people know, typically when you discover a drug in an academic laboratory, it takes a couple of years to get it over to a pharma uh, company that wants to in-license it. And then often it takes anywhere from three to five to sometimes 10 years to get into phase one. Here, we discovered this molecule a year and a half ago or so after some a fair amount of uh, experimenting and brainstorming uh, and starting a company this, uh, you know, this, this past month. We're proud to say that we have a shot at getting in the clinic in about a year and a half, so five to six times faster, if not even faster than that compared to conventional ways. And it's been great as a physician scientist who's worked both at the bench at developing novel therapeutics and cell culture models on plastic dishes, 
treating patients in clinical trials at the cancer center, um, but then watching this process of actually developing that drug. It's an incredibly complex process, but what we're doing is we've assembled a team at Modify Bio um, that can really do this at quantum uh, a quantum leap or, or at lightning speed. So we're really excited because we think we can get this into patients rather quickly and our in vivo models are very supportive of this having a potentially really good effect uh, in patients. But of course, we need to test that in a phase one clinical trial. 18 months, I must say that is really quick. Now, the drug that you are developing is based on the technology platform and is specifically being developed for the treatment of glioblastoma, correct? Our passion is glioma, but our trial, because our clinical da- our preclinical data suggests that we can go after many tumors that have loss of MGMT. So even though uh, as a glioma doc, my passion is uh, to, to get this into glioma patients. Our first clinical trial is actually going to have multiple cohorts of uh, patients with colon, lung, and sarcoma, but all biomarker driven. And again, I think that's the key to success here, especially in glioma, um, is really focusing on patients that have that genetic mutation uh, that's going to confer the sensitivity. And so glioma will be one of our main Uh, uh, shots on goal, but many other tumors will be included in that phase one study. That is good to know, because as you've said before, the key for success is this new platform technology. Now, you've also said that the lack of expression of a repair protein, which can overcome resistance mechanisms in cancer, is also seen in many other tumor types, suggesting a broad potential in the treatment of cancer. I assume that when clinical studies are successful, your focus is on a single agent or monotherapy. But given the fact that you believe in the potential for a combination of these new agents with other drugs, are you thinking of this as a potential approach, which involves more drugs than one? Yeah, great question. So obviously in our early trials, we like to do monotherapy from a safety perspective and our ability to understand whether the molecule can really do what we think it does in our animal models. Uh, So monotherapy will be our first trial um, in the first year. But one of the neat things about Modify Bio in in the platform is the way that we modify DNA, we can actually effectively control the DNA damage response. And and we certainly have data in the paper and unpublished to support this. But we can make DNA modifications that can force a tumor cell to rely on specific pathways. And, And that's important because we can look at, we can force this to happen and to rely on pathways where A, there are already small molecule inhibitors of those pathways. So it's sort of like a Pied Piper approach where we develop a DNA modifier, it forces the cell to rely on a BRCA dependent pathway. That would mean that we could use a PARP inhibitor or some sort of homologous recombination pathway inhibitor. But we're also looking at developing small molecule inhibitors of those other pathways. And so we believe we can use our molecules in combination with other DNA repair uh, inhibitors that are out there. And we're doing work right now to identify which DNA repair inhibitors will be the most effective. Um, But we're also interested in looking at other small molecule kinase inhibitors. But for us, it's always not about mixing and matching the combinations, which I think a lot of companies do pretty hastily. Um, It's about developing the preclinical data that validates or, or gives the justification to make those combinations. Um, because in the end, we really want to make better therapies and better therapeutic combinations that improve overall survival. Um, so I think um, really the, the field is wide open for us and we have flexibility um, with our platform. So if this investigational drug may ultimately be available for the treatment of patients, 
Do you envision that this agent needs to be administered in a hospital setting? What are the options? Yeah, great question. Because the way we've made our molecules, um, they're orally administered. We don't anticipate needing to do an IV infusion. And my other company, Cybrexa, which is doing incredibly well, is making peptide drug conjugates where IV infusion uh, uh, is the main uh, mode of uh, delivery. And certainly those molecules are working well, but um, we had to think a lot about um, the clinic schedule and how to get the drug into the patient. Here, these would be pills that the patient can take and could take on a daily basis uh, or an intermittent basis. But we've also been very careful to design molecules that have the lowest chance of causing normal tissue toxicity, uh, or at least toxicity that we can closely monitor and manage as needed. So overall, again, the oral administration is key because it gives patients the flexibility to take this drug at home. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modify Bio. Procrastination can kill. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States among men and women combined, and it doesn't always cause symptoms. Fortunately, it can be prevented or found at an early stage. Have you been putting off colon cancer screening? This year, use the health benefits you're paying for to get screened for colon cancer. There are lots of screening options available that include anything from a colonoscopy, considered the gold standard of screening tools, to simple tests that can be done at home. And the chances of getting colon cancer increase with age. It's also very preventable, and when caught early, treatments are more successful. If you're 45 or older, you need to get screened. Colorectal cancer can be prevented or found early when it's more treatable. Don't put off your colorectal cancer screening any longer. Talk to your doctor today to discuss which screening test is best for you. This message is brought to you by Oncozine, This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. If you're just joining us, in today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modify Bio. So when you refer to the company, you mean Modify Bio, which is a very young company, right? I believe it's only a few months since the company was established as a spin-out of Yale Medical School, and you have been very successful in the initial funding. Tell me a little bit about this process and the complexities involved. Yeah, yeah. I always like to tell people interested in entrepreneurship, bio, early stage biotech is really like trying to get you know a 747 off the ground. Uh, and as many people would say, building the plane while flying it. So we're, you know, constantly trying to get off the tarmac, off off to a cruising altitude, but we haven't quite built the plane yet. And so there's a lot of moving parts, literally. Uh, and it takes, um, you know, entrepreneurs with passion and drive and creativity, often bootstrapping and, and, and getting people to be what we call utility players in a small team. Modified Bio has been in stealth mode for about a year working virtually. And that's essentially working through what we call sponsored research agreements between our academic laboratories to keep our overhead low because running a lab itself is expensive. And so we're incredibly grateful to the biotech uh, angel investor and early investment community, Connecticut Innovations, High Cape, 
Ironwood Capital, and these are local folks in the Connecticut area um, that will come in and put you know, million dollar level seed funding. And so for this uh, modified bio started with a friends and family round uh, of about a million and a half or so, which got converted into a 6.3 million, 6.4 million rather uh, seed round, uh, which we closed back in April. Um, and we really designed our work in a judicious manner and we we're financially disciplined. And this is really just from the experience of starting companies to use that capital wisely so that we can A, develop the core team, out-license uh, the, the, the IP from Yale and bring it into the NUCO and also develop an actual laboratory space and working with, with landlords that'll give us breaks on rent and let us pay so we can pay our bills. And it's a, a real process that requires, um, you know, uh, people to believe in you and your idea and get that critical data before you go out and do a big funding round where things get much more complicated, um, which is needed as you go into the clinic. Yeah, because that's my next question. The clinical platform was validated by the study published in the journal Science. But now the hard work starts in getting the investigational drug into the clinic. And among that work is a confirmation that in preclinical studies, the new drug product is reasonably safe for initial use in humans. And that's a requirement by the Food and Drug Administration before you can start clinical studies. This may require not only a lot of hard work, but it is also costly. It costs a lot of money. So in terms of funding, so far you've secured $6.4 million, if I'm right. But when you talk about clinical trials, much more money is required. Tell me a little bit about this funding process. Yeah, yeah, great. And to use the plane analogy, so not only do you build the plane while it's flying, you're actually only got enough gas to get to about 5,000 feet off the ground. And so it's it's really what we like to call a leap of faith. That plane goes off the ground and you know that uh, you don't have have enough fuel to get to your destination. And, you know, the, the alternative is to sit on the tarmac and then you'll never develop any drug. And, and so what we do is uh, really come up with a very defined plan. Our seed round funding gets us through the first quarter of next year. And that allows us essentially to achieve some critical milestones that will convince uh, larger investment groups to, to, to invest in the company. And, and that means specifically that we've de-risked it. And we've almost said, okay, this plane has been sufficiently built that the odds of it crashing are relatively low. And at that time, we talk about investments in the range of 40 to 50 million. For example, our Series A that we're currently trying to raise is about $40 million. And so the 6.4 gets us to about halfway through the clinical development or preclinical development, rather, the IND enabling studies. We then need that capital, which is in the five to $10 million range to run a phase one clinical trial and an additional five to 10 million to test it in some other different DNA repair defects. And then obviously another five to 10 million uh, to keep a, uh, the lights on, the lab open, recruiting the best talent uh, and, and really developing even newer drugs uh, in our pipeline. So it's really a process, a stepwise process that requires you to think uh, you know, many miles ahead uh, and while conserving as much fuel as you can so that you can get to the destination that you want to get to. Now, you are a spin-out of Yale Medical School, and I understand that the corporate office, your corporate office, is very close to the university. Earlier in the program, you said that the university was very instrumental in developing this uh, platform technology. Now, you are an independent company, but is the university helping you with ongoing development and support? It's a great question, and I think it's essential. So Yale has been enormously helpful and um, uh, critical for the success of uh, both this company and the other companies that I've started. 
Yale Ventures, for instance, is the group that really supports the spin-outs. Uh, Josh Cabello just uh, recently took the leadership role there, has really driven um, the, spin, the, the, the success of the bioscience community and the biotechs. Most biotechs form from academic discoveries in the laboratory. And not only is it the resources and the support and whatnot, but it's also um, just literally the proximity to the founder labs. Um, for all my companies, Cybrexa, Alfina, now Modify Bio, being within five to 10 minutes from the founders' labs, walking distance, allows the founders to be involved because I often like to tell people, investors, for instance, that you need to keep the founders engaged, at least in the very beginning, because the people who know the technology best at a company that's recently started are the people that discovered uh, the technology. And, and a, a symphony or, or collaboration between the academic founders and the NUCO uh, team is essential and vital for the success. Uh, and I think many people would agree that keeping uh, a stone's throw away the uh, academic uh, founding labs and the academic institution is this surefire recipe for success uh, for these early stage companies. Now, one of the closing questions, because we are almost out of time, you mentioned that in addition to the initial technology platform and the initial investigational drug that you're developing, there is the potential for a larger pipeline of novel drugs. Tell me a little bit about this. We're really excited because for us, Modified Bio is not just about um, translating the, the molecule we published in the science paper in the clinic. It's about an entirely new paradigm to target cancer-associated mutations, again, by de modifying the DNA. Uh, and really, we think this could apply to numerous DNA repair defects uh, in cancer, but also other cancer mutations that indirectly cause DNA repair defects or dysregulation, translocations in, in, in different chromosomes that can drive what we call replication stress or, or difficulties in, in replication fidelity. All of those, we believe, are targets for uh, our DNA modifier platform. So for us, we really believe this is the first of many, many new DNA modifiers uh, that can either be used alone in combination but also even with these other DNA repair inhibitors that are already out there in the clinic uh, or with other systemically administered targeted uh, small molecule inhibitors. So I think um, for us, it's just the beginning and, and, and we're really excited to see uh, how this can change the paradigm uh, in oncology drug development. Dr. Ranjit Bindra, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me. In this episode of the Ongesim Brief, I spoke with Dr. Ranjit Bindra, who is a physician scientist at Yale School of Medicine and the co-founder of Modify Bio. For more information about Dr. Bindra's research, visit the company's website at modifybio.com. For us here at the Ongesim Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And you can also download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and nearly anywhere where you can find good podcasts. For more information about supporting the Oncosine Brief, visit our website at Oncosine at Oncosine.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. That is... 66866. And we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all. And thank you for listening. 
and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Oncazine Brief is a global medical educational service from the publishers of Oncazine and ADC Review, the journal of antibody drug conjugates. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from our commercial underwriters and advertisers and the listeners to this station. For more information about advertising, underwriting, and sponsoring options, visit Oncazine at www.oncazine.com forward slash podcasts. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content in this program is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice and guidance. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.